0: So the goal is not to not have exposure to um, pain. The goal is to learn how to build resilience in the face of pain because emotional trauma isn't in of itself bad. It's how we hold it, how we respond to it. And you know, when you go to the gym and, and you work out and you rip your muscles apart, that's micro trauma, right? So what we wanna do is we wanna build more emotional resilience, just like we have gut resilience or just like you have muscle resilience. We need emotional resilience. And that is really the key because a world that where emotional trauma is resolved isn't a world where there's no pain. There's just no suffering.
1: Welcome to The Ziegler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance from the framework established by Zig Ziglar, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever seen, who believed we could all be more, do more, and have more. How? Improve ourselves, beginning with how we think about ourselves. So let's break down some personal development. In this show, we're talking about a big premise that all our limits, all yours and mine, all the handicaps of our mind, all our anchors and Achilles' heels, and everything holding us back from our full potential come from a primary source. Sounds too much already, doesn't it? But just another claim to be the Holy grail. And I feel that I'm always sensitive to that. But after this talk it's pretty convicting that if this is not the thing that it is a primary thing, one of the top primary things, I keep talking about it ever since I did this interview. And the point is unresolved trauma in your life. And before you say, Hey, I've never had any real trauma. I've never been abused or lacked for much You could have come from a privileged home and loving parents and just tried to live up to their high expectation. And that became somewhat of an anchor for you that you are imprisoned in or tired of. But the point you have a limiting factor or belief rooted in your past programming and wiring. And until you get it rewired, you'll be stuck or at least handicapped. So my guest is Mastin Kipp. A number one best-selling author of Claim Your Power, and that's really the focal point of our talk today. He also wrote Daily Love. He's a speaker and creator of functional life coaching for people who are seeking rapid transformation in their lives. He's been featured on the Emmy Awards show Super Soul Sunday, recognized as a thought leader for the next generation. That was the quote by Oprah Winfrey. Mastin has built a highly successful international personal development company that helps people create rapid change, connect to who they really are and how to live their lives with passion and purpose through his writing online courses, in-person seminars and international retreats. Mastin has worked with over 2 million people in over a hundred countries around the world. I'll just tell you this, folks, I was really impacted and have talked about this concept much since my time with Mastin. I'd highly encourage you to dig into this conversation with us. You can find his book, uh, which has the message that we focus on here again, Claim Your Power, wherever you buy books and connect with Mastin at Mastin, M-A-S-T-I-N, Kip, KIPP, So I'm going to dive in with Mastin after I share some helpful resources. Okay, friends, here then is a significant conversation that I think you'll get much out of with Mastin Kipp. All right, Mastin, well, uh, you know, gosh, we've just been sitting here chit-chatting with each other and talking about Zig, and there's nothing more that I love than to talk to somebody who is a modern-day Zig Ziglar and more in their own sense. So, man, thank you for being here and doing what you do.
0: Well, I can tell you I I am so proud and excited and honored to be here. And um, there's only one Zig, and uh, I definitely have uh, a desire to help people. But he is in a category, league, and class all his own. We all bow to Zig.
1: <laughs> well, he uh, paved the way for a lot of us, no doubt. Well, man, I want to dig in, as I always do, as my listeners know, with some of your personal story. And I know that's a big part of your message and story overall, is your personal story. But you start right off in the book, and it's interesting to me, and you make mention that you're a six foot four white man from Kansas who came from an upper middle class family. Uh, so, what threads I want to know? what threads from your upbringing do you recognize now helped pave or or punish the way for where you are today either way
0: yeah, yeah great question and, and technically, by the way i I have an inversion table, so now i 'm technically six foot five. I just got to my doctor last month, and i 'm now six five because it elongated my spine so but yes the, the idea is still the same and, and one thing I will say I, just for some context before yeah. we get started. Is we'll probably end up talking a little bit about emotional trauma. We and will. Functional, and a functional approach to that type of stuff. And talking about emotional trauma without right context is kind of like talking about cancer. It's a total bummer. It's like, mm. why do I need to talk about that? And what I'll just say for context before I get into my personal story is that, you know, if you want to have a great relationship or earn or quit a job and start a business or just do great at your current job or lose weight or whatever it is you want to do long term. Um, it all is about the inner trauma work, and we're at a place now where, you know, a lot of our predecessors like Zig and William James and the psychological field before him um, paved the way for a lot of the incredible breakthroughs that are happening now as we go inside. And so if you're not doing the trauma work, then it's not, – you're not going to have sustainable fulfillment, sustainable income, sustainable joy. There will be a lot of stress, anxiety, depression, etc. So I want to kind of like just like – talk people into listening because i promise you it's going to be worth it and in the context of of uh, of my you know, upbringing you look at me now a six foot five white guy from kansas you know you think that guy doesn't have any trauma and we have to broaden our view of what trauma is because most people think that it's some type of uh, violent act perpetrated mm-hmm. on somebody and that's certainly 100% classifies as trauma but there's lots of other things that create trauma you can have a parent or both parents who are physically present with a child but are not tuned into their emotional needs and that creates emotional neglect which is an emotional trauma that's called relational trauma Mm -hmm. there can be generational trauma passed down through epigenetics where certain uh, groups of people experience certain traumatic events like the jews and the holocaust african-americans with slavery and those traumas are passed down in the genome. And so is the resilience. Then there's the shock trauma, which most people think is what what actual trauma is, where there's some type of violent act, or you're in an event where there's violence or something like that. And and so um, trauma can be a soul sucking job. It can be a divorce. It can be grade school. (laughs) You know, like there's lots of things that produce these emotional wounds. And what happens inadvertently is that we get into this sort of coping process. And the thing that's cool about the functional approach is that we can kind of dig our way out of that and start to really not just cope better, but to actually get better. So for me, you know, financially, everything was fine. My parents, you know, we had a nuclear family. However, my mom had a broken back and when she was 14 years old, fell off a horse. And then when she had me, her back deteriorated significantly. She had three, what are called heroic surgeries. Usually surgeons, surgeons define a heroic surgery because they lost the patient, but she actually died all three times in each surgery and then came back to life and she's had like three or four near-death experiences and then my father was a combat medic for almost three years in Vietnam on the forefront of very traumatic experiences and so that was the condition that i grew up in and there was no conversation about this type of stuff they were just coping the best they could with chronic pain and emotional pain Mm -hmm. and so all the focus was on my mom taking care of her and not on me which is not a poor me story but really i just learned that i have to take care of other people and my needs essentially don't matter and that resulted in addiction and things later in life codependency and stuff like that later in life and um and so when I talk about, you know, sort of my trauma, it's, it, it's not sort of this, uh, acute, egregious, violent trauma that people kind of think it is. It's just essentially a version of sort of emotional neglect unintentionally. And that can manifest into ways of coping where I cope with sugar and that produces pre-diabetic issues later and codependent issues and relationship problems. And Mm -hmm. when you start to scale a business and you have those problems, you don't get too far. you know. So um, I've had to really work a lot of that type of stuff out. And I work primarily with women. And I don't have any college degrees or any certifications, but I just ask this question, show my parents nuts in the beginning, which was why, you know, every kid drives their parents nuts with that question, right? Because I said so, because I'm your parent, you know, right. And I just persisted because people would set these goals and then not achieve them or forget about them or not get there and then complain about it. And I just asked why for over a decade. And I kind of started to piece together that everyone had something that they went through that was kind of painful. That started to inform their nervous system and create their model of the world. And it didn't seem like a lot of personal development was discussing this issue. They were talking about reframing mindset. They were talking about, you know, limiting beliefs and all of these terms that we hear. And you know, if you think it, you can achieve it. And all that stuff is true, but what I've done with functional coaching is not to change the conversation, but to deepen it to create more context. Because you know the mental models of the 1900s are accurate—the Jungian models and Freudian models and Ericksonian models—but what we're learning now is that there's a lot more emotionally going on below the neck uh, than we ever thought possible. And so I've really dwelled in that realm. And there's a lot of research that's coming out about uh, what happens below the neck, and um, and that's I've found really the stuff that. Holds people back and can determine whether you're stressed, depressed, happy, sad, abundant, or that not. And once you kind of get that work, you know, that inner work kind of done, it and you do something like Zig's work right or tony's work or you know people who are you know the sort of people who are great at the high performance and the strategies it's like jet fuel for those strategies but if you don't do the inner work then like no mindset reframe is really going to get you there and so my goal is to not discredit or to be against anything it's more to say like hey there's this missing piece guys of the salad called the lettuce and Mm -hmm. we got to like include that to have a full salad you know (laughs) <laughs> yes,
1: we, yes, we do. Okay. Well, you mentioned context and yeah, I want to get into this issue of trauma because I don't know that I've ever talked about it, at least to this depth before. So I'm eager to get in there. That's what I want our audience to hear about because you've got me. I think it's, it's significant and missed in the, and I grew up in the personal development world. It's been my vocation always. But coming back to context, just on you, I actually posted the, uh, on Facebook, I shared the interview that Tom Bilyeu did with you on impact theory, who I'm a fan of. We, we interviewed him probably a year ago, I think. And in there, uh, and I'm going to ask some questions on that here in a little bit, but uh, in that I posted, it. so I shared it and some folks looked at it and I had one guy say, you know what? It's a guy I know. And he says, I, I got the book. I was really intrigued. I got the book and it was significant to me. He says, I, I, I these gurus and I was leery of this guy and it made a difference. I was in a place oh. and it helped me get out. So he gave a testimony to you, but he said in the book though, I was curious. The, he tells us, he talks about, you tells the story of, you know, you coming out of childhood, going into, and there's the drugs and the addiction and, and those things. And then he said, it felt like really quickly. Then all of a sudden you've got your act together. You're on stage and you've got this big audience. What happened in between <laughs> there? What's the story yeah. in there that got you from, you didn't wake up on the couch, you know, drugged out. And the next day have an audience. What happened there? And I'm curious as well. Yeah.
0: Great question. So actually, one of the things that I did, and, and I don't know if this was strategic or even maniacal, I'm not sure which, but I actually, the first book I ever wrote was called Daily Love Growing Into Grace, which exactly documents that process. Because okay. what happened for me was, and I'm happy to share it, what happened for me was is I would get into someone like you know Zig or fill in the blank expert. And I would say the same thing, like good for them, easy for them. But like, what was it like when they first got started? Yeah. And I had this sort of self-aware moment of Hey, I'm just getting started. Maybe I should document this real quick, so that when I do this, I've been doing this for a hundred years. People can understand the full answer to that question. But what I would basically say is, is that I got really clear on a couple of things. I was in the music business, and there was a lot of coping with you know cocaine and drugs and alcohol and women and all the things that you would think someone's going through. And this is you know nine, the 2000 and one to almost eight ish is that period of time and way before the me too movement. But I was front row and center for a lot of seeing a lot of that type of stuff. And I'm a 19 year old kid. And so I just got ingrained in this sort of like toxic masculinity culture and this drug culture and the misogynistic culture and just kind of took that on not knowing really any better, but then getting out of it and kind of doing my own work and starting to realize like, that's not how it should be. And there's, all kinds of pain that I'm experiencing. The only way I really knew how to cope was to share. And eventually I kind of like in 2006 or so, I kind of started sharing my story of addiction and people responded. And then I just started posting quotes in emails. And the first email that I ever sent, The daily love was had three people in the newsletter. It was me, my mom, and my second email address. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Beautiful, (laughs) great start.
0: You know, and I sent it through Outlook, Uh and we just you know this is no Infusionsoft or HubSpot or CRM software automation none of that. And I would just send these quotes out every day, basically the quotes that I needed to hear.
1: Yeah,
0: and then people would send it around and hey, put me on there and. It kind of grew, and then pretty soon I couldn't store any more contacts in Outlook. I got to a couple thousand, and it was like freezing when I would send it out and stuff like that. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should do something about that, and I got constant contact. Oh, yeah. I uploaded all that stuff into constant contact, and I was like, how does this work? And I just started sending stuff out, and I, the only smart thing I ever did in the early days, in like 2007, is I put up what's now called a landing page. Mm-hmm. And all it said was to get the Daily Love, enter your email address. Mm-hmm. And that's all it said. There was no blog, content marketing, video. And there's no Facebook Live, Instagram post, none of that. Just enter your email address. And I just published every day consistently. And it was like my lit- – it felt like my life counted on it. Like I had to do it. Hmm. Um, it I can't describe it. It was an urgent, burning desire. And – after publishing that for a period of time, you know, I started – I got like 4,000 people on here. I got 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. And eventually in about 2009 or so, ten, I said, you know what? Like, I could go back and get a job in the music business or I could go behind what I call door number two. And door number two is a scarier door, a lot more uncertain, don't really know what's going to happen. And I have sort of like to take door number two because I, I don't want to die wondering, like, what would have happened, you know? So whenever I'm in a situation where there's a hard decision to make, I say, what's door one what's door two? And I always try to go through door two. So door two was figure out what's up with this daily love thing. And so I left uh, the music business, moved in with my ex-girlfriend's parents in a pool house that was 8 by 8 wow. <laughs> And it was so far away from the house that there was no internet there. So I, I, was, I was so ashamed that I didn't go into the house too often to get internet. So I would go out on the street and find people who didn't have passwords on their Wi-Fi yeah. and like publish some constant contact. And eventually I figured out Starbucks and Coffee Bean had Wi-Fi if I bought a cheap coffee. And then my clothes would smell like coffee all the time because I was there all day. And um, the most important thing was just always publishing on email and always publishing on Twitter. And, you know, that's now called content marketing consistency. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know about that. I just thought I had to put stuff out every day and just felt like this desire – and then through that process of putting myself out there, there was discovery, um, and the model is very well documented now. But you know, influencers discovered the content mm-hmm. through organic word of mouth referrals, and it was people like you know Kim Kardashian, and eventually it got to Oprah, and Oprah uh, sort of I got into her circle, and she invited me to do a, a series of events with her life class and. Uh, which was a a show that they had for a period of time and then go on tour with them and blog about it. And then eventually I was uh, offered to be on super soul Sunday. And at that point things kind of went and that was kind of the moment. Um, I think they call
1: that the Oprah effect, aren't we? Yeah. 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 That's front front row seats.
0: Yeah. And and the thing is that like, it's weird because I feel like, I don't know about, I I haven't done extensive research, but I never really had a thing. Like most people who go on Oprah, like they have a, a thing they have like a, I I'm a, doctor i'm a or i'm a coach and i speak about this and for me it was just like i got this blog and there was no thing and so i feel like it was almost like i'm super grateful but i didn't go on oprah as like a psychologist or as a spiritual teacher i just went on as maston yeah (laughs) you know and i don't know too many people have done that and um and since i've been on there and started coaching and helping people i've made this refinement around sort of functional coaching but and trauma but i really feel like um it's all about consistency. And I really believe in sense of organic self discovery. You can't rush certain things, even in a social media world. There's a sense of it still takes time for people to get to know, like, and trust you. And I think consist- consistency is most important. And the other thing, upon reflection, is that you want to be consistent on the platforms that are relevant, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you know, you probably don't want to be, I mean, depending on the demographic, you know, direct mail may or may not be relevant for certain people. Email is becoming less and less relevant, and Instagram, and podcasts and social networks are becoming more and more relevant. And I didn't realize that at first too. It was just, I was always like email and I realized, Oh, Instagram, Facebook. You know, I I didn't realize that there were these other platforms where people could find you. So now um, my goal is to be sort of omnipresent and consistent essentially, but that's the goal is just consistency. And I wish it was a sexier answer, but you know, stick to it.
1: And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, but, but in looking at that and you, you know, you have a story, this is like weight loss, you know, everybody who loses weight wants to go tell everybody how they did it and show their old pant size and do that. And yet you only end up following a finite amount of those who want to share. So here you are in this, I'm going to say the, the personal development arena in, in essence, and you go out here and you have a heart for whatever reason to share your story and what you've figured out with folks. Where do you look at but trying to discount the superhero effect that you just fell out of the sky? Brilliant, you know, <laughs> but what do you look at in your creator's gifts, talents, abilities that he's given Mastin? Where do you look at and go, gosh, I just have a good knack for this. I have a gift for this. And that's what has helped me yeah. have the influence on the platform I do.
0: Well, I think, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I, I think that, you know, when you look at somebody like the, the for example, the concept of modeling, Right. So, like, do, find out what someone does, reverse engineer it, and yeah. then do what they do. That is a very oversimplified f- idea. And here's why um, my success is a combination of a few things. The, the environment that I had growing up was privileged for sure. Okay. So, I wasn't like fighting for my life every single day and being discriminated against every single day. Okay. So, I had a privileged upbringing, and I had this mother. Uh, who's still alive and who I love tremendously? Who was in just like level eleven pain all day, every day, like in bed, bedridden, and every time she would go see these doctors, she would come back and felt like less of her was there. And I didn't know what was going on, but I just didn't like these doctors, and I didn't like these pills. And so I became this person who just focused on her facial expression, her tone of voice, her movements. What if I tried this? What about this? And my father's a biologist and a researcher. Both my parents were scientists, so I had I grew up in a research environment. So I, I kind of adopted this mindset of there's got to be a solution. So I just kept trying to find solutions to help, essentially. And I became extremely acutely aware for physical state, emotional state, facial expression, tone of voice. So I was sort of uh, I had this like biological imperative to pay hyper attention to my mother's physiological states at all time. Tone of voice and certain tone of voice means certain yeah. things. And, you know, you combine that with a privileged environment. I'm not worried. I'm not, you know, in you know, no one's shooting guns into my house. There's no drive-highs. There's no abuses happening. There's none of that type of stuff happening. It's just, there's just pain happening. And as I got out into the world, um, I started seeing more of it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember the first, one of the first clients I ever had who talked about an abuse that they had had. And I thought, whoa, like, I'm not prepared for that. Like, that's not what I do, but they wanted my help and I just did the best I could and, and through this process of observation, um, coached her and six months later, she was grateful for it. And I thought, wow, like there's something there. So I just have been very much focused on experiential data and focusing on sort of helping people. And it comes from this like deep desire that maybe if I learn enough, my mom will be in pain. And, you know, five years ago I found the intervention center to rehab and she's been pain free for five years. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that day came, uh, which is amazing. But I just, it's it's in my programming to this day. And it's also not, I didn't get into the space to be like some guru or whatever. Like I got dragged into this space by God, if you will. Like it's not like I was like, yeah, I want to be that guy. <laughs>
1: You know? Well, it's, uh, it's it, a couple of things that are really interesting to me. One, you know, Zig has this study he talks about so often about how this high percentage of world leaders came from either poverty or their own or a sibling's handicap. And as Tom Ziegler and I have talked about that, really come into they life was not about them. So here you are, even though you have privilege, but one thing you've got that, that life is not about you. It's focused on your mom. That's significant for your own development. But then the other thing is I'm sitting here writing notes and I'm thinking you got your uh, to get. Give uh, Malcolm Gladwell his credit. You, you kind of put in your 10,000 hours of <laughs> emotional intuition and insight. What a training yeah. ground. I mean, that's yeah. uh, it's kind of like Bill Gates. You know, he just had access to the computer. And, uh, you know, Michael yeah. Jordan had access to the court. And they, they utilized that, but they did have access that you had. Yeah, how significant to hear you talk about those, those things you're tuning into your mom with. And now you're doing it on stage with thousands of people out there.
0: That's, well, And what's interesting, too, is it's predominantly female. Okay. You know, so, but it's, just, it's interesting. You know, I, remember, um, I remember one time I was with Tony Robbins, uh, who's a buddy of mine, and I'd gone to uh, Date with Destiny, which is a phenomenal uh, seminar. And he asked me what I thought of it. And um, I was talking to him and I said, you know, this is amazing. I, I realized I got, you know, like basically I, I got really good at taking care of a wounded woman, basically. And in Tony, typical Tony fashion, I was yeah, look at your career. Look at who you work with. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was one of the first times when I kind of put that together. You know. Wow. Um but yeah, and it's interesting timing because, you know, I work with primarily women in the conversation around high performance and trauma and entrepreneurship in the Me Too era as a six foot five white guy. Yeah, it's very Strange. If you really think about
1: it, I, you know? I, I love it. Well, you talk about, you know, you didn't look to go uh, to go into being a, a guru, but, you know, you do talk about your coach. We've got a huge amount of coaches and, and people who would like to be coaches. They've been impacted by somebody that would like to do that for somebody else. And yet we know So I'm to give you a two part question here a lot of them have a problem going out and coaching because they discount themselves because they're not perfect, right? Which none of us can be, but here you are on stage having a lot of insight, a lot of brilliance, a lot of wisdom, and you get a lot of results. And yet people I know, and you know that they get that perspective of you've arrived and you have figured it all out, right? Maston, here, I'll just give you that question.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, great. No, 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 no. Um, so, so I uh, specifically for, I'll say, Uh, Practitioners, coaches, and I'll I'll throw uh, therapists and mental health workers in there too, healthcare providers. Um, The best coaches are always getting coached. The best therapists are in therapy themselves. Uh, for a couple of reasons, one because you're in proximity to a lot of people who are not in always the best state, so you're sort of co-regulating with people who are down-regulated and, and not happy. Mm. People don't come to a coach or therapist because their life's on fire, right? They come because there's a, a crisis or a transition. Um, and and but the best coaches are, are 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 always coached, and they're investing in themselves. And I'm a big believer that you got to be the type of client that you want to attract. Mm. And so um, I'm always doing my work, and the hard part for me has been. I can talk myself in and out of any scenario. So it's been very hard for me to find a coach who can see through my BS. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness I found that person. Um, And, you know, that person can just put the spotlight right on my BS. And I'm like, oh, and I know that this person is onto something when the words, you're completely wrong, (laughs) but I'm open to you being right. Come Mm -hmm. out of my mouth. (laughs) Okay. You know, but I think that, I think that, um, you know, this 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 comes from sort of this like 1980s success sort of mindset where it's like there's this larger than life character, yeah. whether it's on Wall Street or whatever, and and they got all this stuff figured out, and it's like almost like kind of like Jesus or some superhero is going to come save me, and we deify them, and there's a message from the audiences be perfect, so they kind of portray that. And I just thought that was just way too much to keep up with. Personally, it's just exhausting. And so I've always just been very upfront about sort of the things that I'm going through. I don't usually share what I'm going through in the moment with people. I like to share what I've processed. But I, I really view myself as someone more like a Sherpa who's like helping someone on the journey with them mm-hmm. than sort of like this like coach who's like, you shall one day be like me or something. That's just not it's not how I see things because I know everyone has their own stuff. Everybody mm-hmm. has their stuff. Well, and I appreciate
1: (laughs) that. I think that's one of the things that made Zig as popular as he was, is that he led with that personal story and so much humility. And I see that in you. And I've seen that in the testimonies of those who have heard your message and follow you. Okay. So I want to dive into this. Well, we're going to hit the big one purpose. And I'm going to read, I'm going to bear with me, uh, Madison, cause for everybody else, I'm going to read. This is right off the back of the book. And you say, there's only one difference between someone who never follows through on their intentions and someone who wakes up with energy, excited to meet the day, experiencing true joy, f- freedom, and abundance. What's that difference? The person who experiences true joy, freedom, and abundance knows their life's purpose and is living it. So the yes. word purpose, the big Holy grail, but as you say, right off the bat too, it's been so overused. It's been so diluted. It's got so much baggage, yet it's still the beacon and you define it as why am I here? And what was I made for? So my question though, when you talk about purpose, actually, it's kind of a concern as I look at the culture is, are you finding that fewer and fewer people actually believe they do have a unique specific purpose as opposed to they're just here to do life like everybody else does what's happening?
0: Well, I think a couple of things i mean we I do a lot of data mining, and I like to pay attention to data because I think uh data and what's happening out there is so important to I like to have a pulse on that and there's a large majority of people who uh don't know that they have or don't believe that they have a, a purpose yeah. and i and, and I think you know we live in a, a culture today of instant gratification and a lot of extreme polarization out there, so it's easy to kind of get caught up in sort of some uh you know chronic i guess you could say pessimism if you will and what i would say is is that purpose um you know when i came into the personal development space coming from a uh you know two parents who are you know researchers and my dad's a PhD bi- uh, phd biology you know i came from you know hardcore scientific modeling and the scientific method like that was ingrained in me as a child um you know i used to argue Sometimes I went to a Christian school and I would, I would argue with people about like the scientific method versus Genesis chapter, you know, Genesis chapter and talk about – I mean I would get into so much trouble as like an 11-year-old kid. Like where is – what are you talking about? You know, and, and I was always a trouble troublemaker in a sense. But, but when I got into the personal development space, I realized that people like, for example, the word purpose is so important, but it, there's no common definition. You know, If you go to a scientist in you know, Germany or US or China or anywhere, the moon. We all agree on the Kelvin scale, (laughs) you know. Like this is what the Kelvin. This is all the same thing. Or Mm. what time is it in Greenwich? Greenwich Mean Time. Um, We all agree that the day is the same day, and we all operate by that clock and time zone. So we have these commonalities that create the ability to have conversation and understand each other. But in the personal development space, there's just all these lexicon, vocabulary words that different teachers use and define differently, or would Mm. never define. And so I decided that everyone was asking about purpose, I'll write this book in the context of finding it through your trauma, um, and, but I have to define it. And so I, the, the, the sort of textbook clinical definition of purpose is sort of this thing that stimulates uh, a goal to be achieved that, and that gives you meaning. That's basically mm-hmm. what purpose is, a usefulness, if you will, a reason why. But I think even more simpler than that, purpose is an emotional state that you learn to cultivate with and generate within yourself and then express to others in the form of service. And what's so cool about that definition is that it's on you. So you have to be proactive, not passive in emotional intel- awareness. Like how do I want to feel? Cause every goal we set, uh, there's an emotional payoff that we're going for of freedom or joy. Like the money is never about the money. It's about the freedom or the certainty or the relationship is about the connection and the romance or the weight loss is about self-confidence. So we're all, you know, and all the great leaders talk about, you know, culture and raving fans. Like that's all emotional states that are translated into products and services and customer service and all those things. And, you know, JJ Abrams, when the force awakens uh, came out, who he wrote and directed with Lawrence Kasdan, who was a, uh, the writer of uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back, you know, he he asked the question that Lawrence has, been, how do we want the audience to feel? That was the question that J.J. Abrams asked before they wrote a word, right? And so starting with an emotional awareness is so important. How do I want to feel? Then I need emotional intelligence, which is, well, how do I feel that way? And then I need emotional fitness, which is doing it. <laughs> and that's the hard part. And so purpose, my definition of purpose is basically just this emotion that you generate within yourself and express to the world in the form of service to others. And that means that the outward expression of your purpose in a business or a relationship or a child can change. But you're always in control of uh, generating your emotional states no matter what's happening. Now, you may not have good practice at it but you can learn to control and influence your emotional states. And the most important piece of it is the expression. Because if you think about you know, all this depression that's happening out there, what's the opposite of depression? Expression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So um, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into the idea of cultivating emotions and then expressing them to others, but not just for yourself, but in the form of service. And it's a very basic definition that when followed and implemented has drastic, drastic, drastic uh, positive consequences.
1: Okay. I've got questions on some of the things you said about emotion, but I don't want to jump off purpose just yet because you talked about purpose in a sense. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but did you matter to somebody you have meaning? And we have those in roles. I think easily. I'm a husband. I know what my role is. I have purpose there. I'm a father. I know what my role is. I'm a boss. uh, I'm a friend. I'm a business partner, yada, yada. And yet when we don't have those Uh, we can go after those as addictions to fulfill a purpose when you take those away. And I think this is why we have meditation is such a big thing right now. And we have to sit with ourselves by ourselves outside of those roles. Then what's our purpose. And that's what you're hitting on. And that is daunting. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I can tell you uh, in my own life and with many clients that I've seen, and I've worked with thousands of people. So I have a pretty good experiential data set to pull from you know, when, when, when people, when somebody loses a sense of purpose and utility, that's a very dark path. Yeah. Okay. It can lead, uh, lead to at the, at the most extreme case, like suicidal ideation um, and, and very dark thoughts. So, so it's really important to differentiate between a role and purpose because yeah. even as a father, or even as a business owner, it's not just enough to say, I am your father, right? Cause some dads mess up their kids pretty bad in space sagas, mm-hmm. but you know, like it's also the state that you're showing up in, the emotional state, because that's the most important thing, because it's, I mean, we all know it's about how you make people feel, right? Whether that's children, clients, customers, strangers, you name it. So it's more about being aware of how you need to feel. And and that sounds so simple, but the technical term in the therapeutic and mental health community is called self-regulation, like regulating your emotional state like a thermostat. That is one of the single hardest things to do on the planet it is easier to attain the highest political office become a billionaire than it is to self regulate <laughs> okay so it is it is so hard to self regulate and then maintain that as you're navigating the conflicts of relationship and building a business and who am I now and all of the things, the phases of life that we go through, hormonal changes, dysbiosis in the gut microbiome, brain health. Like there's so many things that go into emotional regulation and it's a, it's a very, very important thing. So it's not like just like, yeah, choose to be happy. It's a, it's a, it, it takes a master to be able to consistently generate and show up in authentic emotional states that are uh, productive and positive.
1: On purpose, one more question on it because we could spend uh, the day on it. But what are some of the primary myths that you would say derail the concept and the healthy perception of purpose?
0: So one is, is that I have to find it and then get busy doing things. I think the best way to find your purpose is to figure out the problems that you love to solve. And the types of things that you like to do that come easily to you and merge those two things because I think if you have more – like like this whole sort of like millennial mindset of my passion, my purpose is completely distracted people f- from where to find it because it doesn't really matter what your passion or your purpose is. You want to solve problems and do, a, do the things that come naturally to you, and you'll find purpose in that process. So you want to have more of a craftsman mindset than this sort of like almost entitled mindset. The other thing is, is that I have to always have the same purpose, right? Mm-hmm. That like, you know what, like if once I, my child leaves the nest, I don't have a purpose. Or once I lose my job or get a different job, my purpose is gone. Purpose is something that's always there, and someone who's really living their life is going to be asking the question, what's my purpose, at least once a decade. If not more, especially if you're on an accelerated growth path. So if you don't know who you are, that's a sign that you're growing. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I would say the final thing is this idea that like I don't have to do any of my trauma work and that I can sort of avoid that because the, the blisters and the wounds are a direct pathway to your purpose as well. And so the idea that I don't have trauma or that I don't need to do that type of work and yada, yada, yada uh, is a big misconception too.
1: Okay. Well, I do want our listeners to know, uh, gosh, a month ago, somewhere in the last month, I think there's a show that Tom Ziegler and I did where we talked about, you just talked about problem solving in regard to purpose. And it was a really, I think a paradigm shifting thing for a lot of people, myself included that in a survey, they found 80% of people are more problem solving oriented mindset than goal. I think that was freeing for a lot of people. So to hear you put it in the context of purpose is a perfect marriage. So now let's go into, I mean, you, Take aim at purpose, and your focal point, your muse, in essence, is trauma. I don't think I've ever had someone do that solely, uh, if, <laughs> uh, if at all, if at all. So let me take a quote. This is off page three in your book. Uh, your purpose transforms trauma into power, and finally sets you free from any person or circumstance that caused you pain. So you've you shared some of your own story. But where did you have that revelation of, well, you shared it a little bit of trauma. You kept looking around and seeing that's what you to, you honed in on. I'm going to say that was your you know, divine revelation of trauma because I, I feel like it's so that's why you're here. That's why you're here. I, I read the book. I looked at the stuff and thought that is significant. We have not hit on that. I've done, yeah. uh, you're my hundred and something interview. And we have not <laughs> talked about trauma. We talk about wow. stumbling blocks. We talk about obstacles but not trauma. And it just rang true, Mastin, bottom line. Um, and that's why I wanted to do this. Well, tell us more.
0: Yeah, no. So, so it's an emerging field. Um, and, and my, one of my main goals is to normalize the conversation because, you know, like you mentioned meditation, you know, 20 years ago, meditation was just like, you'd find it in the occult section, you know, now it's like you ain't, a good entrepreneur if you're not doing your meditation and mindfulness practice yeah. like you're that's not a competitive advantage and trauma is the exact same way and the thing is is that there's this very pesky non discussed side to entrepreneurship and business and coaching which is the entrepreneurial isolation maybe there's a successful launch but what happened to the relationship deteriorating and there's a whole mental health issue and component with entrepreneurship because um, a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, use business as sort of a socially acceptable way to cope uh, almost in an addictive way with unresolved things. And, and, and it all stems back to some type of emotional wounding as a child. We all have it. And it just hasn't emerged as important because you have to understand, like, if you think about this, let's take the Bible for a second, Okay. In the Old Testament, when Moses saw God, saw the burning bush, and came down, the aha moment of the day was, don't kill people. Okay? <laughs> like, that was the big aha, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't murder people. And we're still working on that one, yeah, right? Yeah. Then we fast forward to Jesus, when if you get the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, all personal development is basically in there. That's where it all started. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. And he says, above all else, love your neighbor as yourself, well, love your heart. Lo- love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbors yourself. And that's pretty basic, but also very powerful. But the idea of how do I love myself? That has been emerging ever since, and it starts to emerge with the idea of William James in the 1890s at Harvard, sort of the father of psychology. Kind of understanding this for the first time, we start to roll into Freud. We start to roll into Carl Jung. We start to roll into Milton Erickson and Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls and all the early thinkers. And, you know, Milton Erickson, uh, wasn't an Ericksonian, uh, hypnotist. He's just Milton you know having rapport with people and making his own discoveries and then you start to get into a lot of the psychological models that started to emerge and child development psychology and you start to get into um, all the attachment theories and all the things that have emerged ever since and there's still these mental models based on observational data and in the last 10 years since we unlocked the human genome that's when we started really getting into the inner world of you know genomics epigenomics and what's happening on the inside and you know uh William James wrote in the 1890s that psychology was a soft science because we can't measure the data yet. Well, that's not true anymore. And so when you start really getting into the inner world of people's you know, uh, states, you start to understand things like gut microbiome health, 90% of our neurotransmitters. The feel-good chemicals are produced in the gut microbiome. So if you have leaky gut, gut dysbiosis, you're not going to feel good no matter how many affirmations you do, right? We start to understand things like what the vagus nerve is, which is the pathway and the highway that sends the information from the body into the brain that delivers these neurotransmitters to the brain. If your vagal tone isn't regulated well, they're not going to get there right? And we didn't know this stuff. Like William James didn't know what the gut microbiome was. No one knew that. You know, Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. Mm -hmm. But we didn't realize we had to personalize the diet for each individual person because everyone's unique microbiome is different. So we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the smaller we get, the more we start to realize, well, what's the cause of chronic disease? Inflammation caused by what? Physical trauma, right? That's what's the cause of chronic inflammation. So Almost all the itises and osises that are out there are caused by – we're damaging the body physically. Why? Because we have emotional damage that we have not addressed. And so there's this symbiotic relationship between emotional trauma and physical trauma, and it starts with the emotional trauma. And what comes first, the chicken or the egg? The emotional trauma comes first, and it gets passed down generationally, and we're in the process of starting to clean that up. And you can talk to any functional medicine doctor. Any healthcare practitioner, any health coach, anyone who's around people trying to get them to change their behavior, (laughs) right? You know, functional medicine doctor can say, yeah, go on this IFM mitochondria diet and take these nutraceuticals and, you know, call me in a month. But then somehow they still default back to the cinnamon sticks from Domino's, right? Like, what is that about, right? It's all in the emotional trauma work. So the people in the forefront of medicine know that the emotional work and the trauma work trumps Mm -hmm. any type of you know, recommendations. And so that's really where we're living now. And so when you start to look at entrepreneurs who are hitting upper limits or couples who are breaking up, you know irreconcilable differences in divorce, that really is irreconcilable trauma, if you really think about it. And so this is a new conversation. It's an emerging conversation. And I like to hang out with and focus on the new things yeah. because I don't want to be a derivative. And all the latest data is pointing towards emotional trauma, emotional regulation, attachment theory, in combination with energy medicine and functional medicine as like this epicenter for where things have to emerge. So things like meditation are great, but unless you do your trauma work, you're just coping better. And when you do your trauma work, things like meditation can just really drive you and fuel you in bigger ways.
1: Okay. I want to come back to, you said you made the statement of emotional bruising as a child. Well, let's talk about functional medicine uh, that you mentioned which of course I'm heavily involved in. We look at supplements. That's a big part, nutritional yeah. supplements. But then as much as we want to tout those, they are supplemental. If we had a perfect diet and perfect digestion, we would not need supplements. Most yes. of us, well, I'll say all of us don't. And so we all need to supplement with different things. So if we look at our upbringing, there I'm going to say as a father of 9 that it is impossible <laughs> to have a perfect I cannot give my kids a perf- Perfect upbringing. I can't be a perfect parent. I can't parent them perfectly according to their individual makeup and personality, and try my best. I can't keep them from exposure from X, Y, Z at school, teachers, kids, whatever. So they are going to have emotional bruising. You even mentioned just school itself; it can be bruised. I think <laughs> I've got some kids being bruised right now. Yeah. So based on that, I, I say that because I would have tended to be. No, I was in recent years, even one of those people who said, "I don't have any trauma." This would not have reached me, uh, X amount of years ago. Cause I would have said, I don't, it It has taken counseling to help me see that I do. And like you said, not a poor me issue, but it's just a reality that I can't, again, just going back to nutrition, yep. we cannot be perfect physiologically nutrition. And, and here I hear you saying we can't emotionally. And that's what you have found is the primary stumbling block inhibitor, handicap, whatever of our progress which is why we're all in personal development, trying to tout everything. And yet we have a culture who doesn't seem to be getting better
0: yes well yeah well, and because emotional trauma work is the root cause of all root causes it 's bottoms out there <laughs> it 's like there 's nothing else that we can now yet measure that is the cause of every other problem in the world and the thing that 's important to understand is that let 's talk so let 's take well, what you 're saying about your kids, which is um, true heartbreaking and also something that we can get through right because it's hard because you want to be there and I, I i don't have any children but you know i have a lot of people that i love and, and i want to i don't I ever want them to suffer but here's the thing when you think about something like a polyphenol right which is like something that's usually pretty good for your body and pretty good at gut resilience why is it good for you right well it goes into your body into your gut digestive tract and actually causes a little bit of scarring that your body responds to that produces resilience in the gut right? So think of gut health, right? If you have leaky gut, then the food that you eat doesn't digest, doesn't absorb. It ends up in your body and all kinds of problems can stem from that issue and uh, uh, chronic illnesses. So are you going to, you know, treat yourself every once in a while, you know, like one of my favorite treats, I've been all over the world to the fanciest places in the world. I still love me some Domino's cynistics. sticks. You know what I mean? Like, it <laughs> doesn't matter. I just, you, you can take the kid out of the Midwest, but you just can't take the Midwest out of the kid. You know, you just can't do it. Right. So, But, like, you know, like if I have leaky gut and I have those, that type of food on a treat meal, it's going to ruin me for months, Mm -hmm. right? But if I have a resilient gut, if I've done my probiotics and my prebiotics and I've done my polyphenols and I've done my L-glutamine and I've done the things I need to do to like create that resilience, then when I have the stuff, it takes me out for an hour or two. So the goal is not to not have exposure to um, pain. The goal is to learn how to build resilience in the face of pain because emotional trauma, isn't in and of itself bad. It's how we hold it, how we respond to it. And you know, when you go to the gym and, and you work out and you rip your muscles apart, that's microtrauma, right? So what we want to do is we want to build more emotional resilience, just like we have gut resilience or just like you have muscle resilience. We need emotional resilience. And that is really the key because a world that, where emotional trauma is resolved isn't a world where there's no pain. There's just no suffering.
1: Goodness, that's a big... That is a big statement. I got to actually got to take a timestamp on that. Uh, I might, I might use that as the intro here. So I'm going to take wow. that and go back. You just mentioned emotional resilience a little bit ago. You talked about, if I got it right, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence and emotional fitness, which I would put, I, I assume emotional resilience as a bullet point under emotional fitness, but take us through a quick journey of the average us on the scale of where we are with emotional sure. awareness, intelligence, and fitness. <laughs>
0: Sure. So, so the first thing to understand for context, because for some reason, when we start talking about this stuff in the context of personal development, people's common sense goes out the door and magical thinking takes over. So, so if you were going to go get – let's say you weigh 100 pounds more than you need to. okay, You don't go to a four-day fitness seminar and expect to lose 100 pounds and keep it off the rest of your life no matter what you do. Okay, like
1: it'd be no liposuction, one, maybe, I don't know.
0: Right. But even then, yeah, you don't expect to keep it off if you don't change your lifestyle. Like right. nobody has that expectation. Right. But for some reason in personal development, they think, I went to one therapy session, I went to one seminar, I read the book, and it didn't work. And it's like, Well, did your workout twenty years ago work? <laughs> you know, like I don't know. It's about a lifestyle transition, not this quick fix, three day, four day thing. It's about a lifestyle transition because with a physical fitness, people who are physically fit train every day, right? Yeah. People who are emotionally fit have emotional training practices or habits every single day. So I want to put that into context. It's a okay. lifestyle transformation. It's not like a three day thing that worked or didn't work. Um, you know, seminars and books and coaching are opportunities to have portals of awareness where you get outside of a pattern that's been holding you back and you can make a decision and then hold on for dear life to like make that decision real but no seminar is going to fix you in three four five days it's just not going to happen but they can shift uh the pro- your uh, emotional state uh temporarily so that's an important thing to understand because in the context of trauma and personal development and emotional awareness i would suggest and submit to you that most people have very little emotional awareness, even people who are in personal development, because the focus for the majority, not all, there is definitely segments, but the focus for the majority of personal development is on success and achievement. There's not a lot of people really talking about um, how to have stress-free success, stress-free productivity, stress and depression-free relationships. They just want the Instagram photo. (laughs) Okay. And, and, you know, look at me with my Lamborghini in my garage. Like that's, that is sort of a lot of what's popular. The problem is, and I get to talk to a lot of people behind the scenes is that you get the stuff and anybody who's on the quest to think that money will make them happy clearly has never had any. Okay. Because once you get it, you realize Oh my goodness! Now what? Right? Because yes, your basic needs are taken care of, but it doesn't make you happy and fulfilled. So um, I, emotional awareness is huge. How am I feeling? Most people don't want to ask that question because when you ask that question, the first thing you meet is all the stuff you haven't felt, yeah. <laughs> right? Which is not fun. Or they think I had that one therapy session five years ago. I already worked on it. No, it's like it's like um, uh, emotional trauma is like a virus, right? It can go dormant and it can flare up. And so it's about having daily practices to be able to create emotional awareness. Emotional intelligence is a learned practice that requires a lot of psychoeducation to be able to figure out what do I need? How do I want to feel? And what are the practices for me to feel that way consistently? And that can be extremely difficult, especially for perfectionists because the perfectionist response is a response to trauma early in childhood where our needs were not met by our parents. And we, think that if i could just get it right then finally i'll be loved and safe and there's no formula to keep that and so you know perfectionism is the enemy not just of financial success but of emotional happiness and 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 fulfillment and so and there's that whole inner critic conversation of all the things that you should have done wrong or all that all the ways that we talk down to ourselves. the purpose of the inner critic it actually has a purpose it's not a bad thing the purpose of the inner critic is to say if you could just do this one thing then you would be safe it's just misinformed. And so as we start to get into emotional awareness and intelligence, we have to come face to face with our you know, inner criticisms, how we blame others. Do we blame ourselves and have shame? Like, how have we outsourced our power? I don't like to use the word victim because I think in our current society, there's too much blame the victim and that word is so loaded. So what I will say is, is that most people have learned passivity. They have learned to be passive and to let things happen to them. And in emotional intelligence and awareness, you start to realize that you can be proactive. And the emotional fitness process is the act of being proactive in the middle of very uncomfortable feelings. Because if you have anxiety, depression, or any of these emotional responses, you've trained your body to have those responses over a period of time. And you have to untrain yourself that way. And the way that you heal trauma is you have to relive it and choose differently. So it's not for the faint of heart, right? You have to go back into those emotional states. And it's almost like every story you've ever seen, where like Luke confronts Darth Vader, or in Labyrinth, Sarah confronts David Bowie. And says, you have no power over me. We have to go in. That's the whole metaphor of the hero's journey is you have to go into the cave. You have to face Vader. You have to face Voldemort, which is this trauma or this experience, and say, you know what? Not this time. And that is why these stories resonate with us so strongly is because that's what we have to do. But we can't watch it on Netflix. We can't see it on someone else's Instagram account. It has to be an ontological experiential process that each individual goes through.
1: Okay. So what does that daily emotional fit? I love your perspective of that. If you're going to work out and put on, you know, 15 pounds of muscle or lose 50 pounds of weight, it's going to be every day for a long period of time. When you talk about emotional working out in essence, fitness, give some ideas, literally tangible. I mean, our next show is going to be the habit show. We'll talk about your personal habits, but you know, what are some ways for somebody hearing this right now? Some initial steps of how can I start once? And I gather, uh, if I, if I'm great, you know, that comes after emotional awareness, emotional intelligence <laughs> yes. and now emotional fitness, how do I start working on this? And of course, folks will get the book. That's the whole point here is, is, is get into this stuff and study it and start walking it out, but just some highlights on emotional sure. fitness daily.
0: So, 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 so let me just put, uh, put it in a context that people would understand. So, so mm-hmm. I'm a believer in the emerging field of personalized nutrition where each individual person has a, f- a food that's right for them and what's good for you may or not be healthy for me. I've done a lot of work with a company called Viome, who's kind of mm-hmm. out front on uh, sort of microbiome science. And that's what the data is really showing, is that there's just per- there's food that might be healthy for one person that's not healthy for somebody else. So I can't exactly give sure. personalized recommendations, um, but I can give broad uh, principles, uh, because each individual person would essentially have a unique approach. Yeah. But here's one very, very, very simple And please, if you're listening, don't confuse simple simple with not valuable, okay? So one of the things in our body that regulates how we feel is the vagus nerve. There's two parts of the vagus nerve. I won't go into the anatomy and all the science behind it, but it regulates uh, anxiety, things like depression. If you have a lot of uh, emotional uh, feelings in your diaphragm and in the right side of your neck, that's uh, a lot of vagus, where a lot of information for the vagus nerve uh, runs through. Um, A lot of uh, panic attacks, a lot of depression, a lot of anxieties, a lot of not good feelings are uh, what's called neuroception, which is uh, emotional data coming up from the body into the brain via the vagus nerve. So one of the things you want to learn how to do is regulate the vagus nerve to calm down. And you want to activate what's called the vagal break. The vagal break is just a way to think about the vagus nerve calming down. And here's how you do it, and it's so simple. And when I first heard this, I thought, you've got to be kidding me, okay? You want to make, if you have, let's say, a 10 or 20-second breath, 80% of your breath and exhale, and 20% an inhale. If 80% of your breath is an exhale, you will activate the break. And so as a very practical example, I wake up in the morning, I have a little bit of caffeine, some amino acids, and I do a one-hour steady-state cardio where my heart rate is somewhere between 80 and 120 beats per minute. And I breathe with 80% exhales over a 60 minute period of time. My body, the endorphins, everything starts to wake up and my nervous system starts to calm down. And I enter my day in a completely different state than if I'm hyperventilating during cardio. And that is, it's so simple but it is a game changer for how you can start to um, uh, engage with life. The other thing I would say is You know, I wrote the book. It came. It came from about ten years of working with people and making observations. And you know, it used to be like only in a fifteen thousand dollar retreat would this process be available. And I was like, no, no, no. Like we need to like make this available to everybody because it's super important. But in the book, I talk about how to really get down to sort of some of the core traumas that you have based on some of the behaviors that you want to change. So once you get down there and you realize, wow, I went through this thing and this is how I've coped, you can start to basically do the opposite. So I'll give you a very specific example. One of the core things that I do when I get triggered or when my trauma sort of flares up is I like to isolate. So, like, don't talk to me. I want to be alone. I want to go be by myself. One of the worst things that I can do or anybody can do because isolation is is a major driver of, of mental health decline. So I have to take contrary action and admit to, say, my girlfriend Or a friend of mine or a fellow entrepreneur, I am going through a fog. I'm going through a hard time right now. And do what we're doing right now, which is called co-regulation. What's so fascinating in the data is that the mental health space and a lot of of the personal development space, the message is you have to self-regulate your emotional state. You have to be in control of your emotions. And if you can't be in control of your emotions, then we're going to medicate you. However, the data shows that we're actually social creatures. The brain is a social organ. And that the markers and the cues for self-regulation are embedded in co-regulation between people. Hmm. And Jesus said this in the Bible, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. He's talking about co-regulation, right? Yeah. So we all, for me, it's also about learning how to co-regulate with the right people, right? You don't want to co-regulate with a pessimist or someone who's going to bring you down. You want to be with people who you trust, who will nurture you, who will care for you. Very basic things, but they can be a complete game changer, especially in today 's digital age where there's so much isolation
1: okay i 'm going to give this yeah we could go on for for days here folks it, really it, the book was uh, the book was significant. I love how you wrote it in these snippets you 've got a lot of chapters, and I want folks to to dig in, um, but at face value with this with this book, with this message, claim your power what is a, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the critics. I'm talking about the people who truly care. They want to engage. They want to digest, but what for them, what are some primary false perspectives that people have coming into this that uh, allows them to fall on the wayside that you would love to dispel, help them get past? Sure.
0: First thing I would say is to the critics out there. Um, I think that, uh, a critic or a skeptic is an optimist who has unhealed trauma yeah. <laughs> about something. Okay. That's so
1: great. they definitely
0: need the work, but just come into it open-minded. That's beautiful. And the other thing is, is that a lot of people who are critics or whatever, um, you know, there's a justifiable reason that they went through something. I mean, the personal development space is riddled with people who, have not had the best intentions and by the way zig ziglar is the opposite of that zig ziglar is one of the main reasons i said if this guy can exist who's a cool dude who's like legit who's so heart-centered maybe there's a place for me because you know i it just didn't it was not excited to first get into the personal development space so there's a reason why people feel critical and you know what if you're feeling critical cool work on your trauma but when it comes to everybody else i would say that the biggest biggest misconception is that i don't have trauma that's the big if you have anxiety if you have stress, if you have dysbiosis, if you're – have if you're overweight, if you're in arguments, if you're not achieving the results that you want to be achieving in your life, um, you have trauma. <laughs> you got it. Okay? Yeah. And every human being does and that's probably the biggest misconception. The other biggest misconception, which is not just for people who read the book. This is in general, is that – and I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to say something that uh, is a, probably a little forward but I'm just going to say it. Um, if you are working with anybody who is not trauma informed you've got to have a trauma informed person on your team to change your life. You you have to have a it's like having an allopathic doctor without having a functional medicine doctor. They're only going to treat the symptoms. Like if someone's going to have a medical problem You've got to go see a functional medicine doctor to get to the root cause and figure out why is your thyroid off or why is your liver doing what it's doing or why is your lipid profile high. The same thing is true in personal development. Not everyone on your team has to be trauma-informed, but you've got to have a trauma-informed person on your team. And the, the, the place where a lot of problems stem is from what's called the DSM. And the DSM is a Diagnostic and Statistics Manual for Mental Health Disorders. It's published by the American Psychiatric Association. And it is where people, clinicians go to diagnose people. And they use a word in this book that is so uh, causing so much pain, which is the word disorder. I'm going to say, and I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, 100% of mental health problems are the body's response to coping with trauma. It's not a disorder. It's a response and you've got to start to focus on the underlying pattern that has gone maladaptive and look at whatever the mental health disorder is or whatever the functional you know, uh, uh, healthcare disorder is as not a disorder, but as a body's appropriate response to an underlying dysfunctional or maladaptive pattern, just like in functional medicine, right? Diabetes is the appropriate response to A1C levels that are non-optimal or high blood sugar, right? Mental health disorders, multiple personality dissociative identity disorder. Maybe instead of viewing it as a disorder, we start to realize that person has a complex trauma history and look how creative they are at coping with it. Wow. And we should look at people who have stress, anxiety, depression, or any mental health disorder as a champion of survival and as nothing short of Heroic. And so, if you're going through stress, if you're going through a hard time, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, your journey is heroic. And I will say that you can get to the root cause, and we know neuroplasticity is real. You can start to change your nervous system and how you respond. And when you start to, or how you respond, and when you start to combine like a functional coaching process with a functional medicine process, your life can change in ways that you never thought possible. And you've got to have someone on your team who is trauma informed and don't take a diagnosis as a prognosis for life.
1: That's a great place to end. Like I said, we would, but I'm not gonna, I have one, one, (laughs) I have one more thing that you brought up. Uh, and it was actually in regards to the initial part about critics as people who have undiagnosed trauma or untreated trauma that is this and forgive me if this is in the book and I didn't get to it, Looking at trauma, our own or others as such a significant, as the, as you said, the root of the root of their, of their issues, of their pathologies, we could say, does that not, would that not for ourselves and others create a dramatic amount of grace?
0: Oh, well, it chills because, um, and and here, here's the thing that's important to understand. Um, what is what is the definition of grace? I define grace as unearned divine favor. It's sort of like God's yes to your life and to your purpose, not mm-hmm. to your neurosis and your trauma, but to your purpose and to, to the part of you that is unhurt, that's, that's perfect and pure. And here's the thing. When we start, to, I should probably say this at the beginning. When we start talking about trauma, um, there's this idea that explaining it somehow justifies behavior. And there are people who are doing things, racist things, xenophobic things, violent things, and acknowledging that they have trauma does not make it okay, does not justify the values, and certain values should be rid from the earth. So when we talk about grace. We can quote Paul. Paul says, does grace exist so that sin may abound? Mm. Hell no is what Paul says, mm-hmm. right? And this is coming from a former murderer who had a divine encounter, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, So he knows what he was talking about in the sin department. Do we talk about trauma so that people can perpetuate more things and justify it? Absolutely not. However, even though we can agree that violence and misogyny and racism and all the crazy things that are happening today, there are certain values that should just be wiped off the earth that have no purpose anymore. When we start to realize that there's no such thing as a bad response, there's only an adaptive response to trauma, grace enters the picture. And that is what is so incredible about it. And that's both a spiritual and religious conversation and a scientific conversation. So when Jesus said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. He was literally accurate. You could be interpreted another way by saying, "Forgive them, Father. They're just trying to survive. They don't realize that I'm not a threat because they're so scared. They're so traumatized. So th- this has huge uh, correlations to you know any spiritual teaching. And, I mean, I'm, I got a cross on my arm. You know, I'm am I'm, I'm a Christian mystic, and I, I love my JC. But the, if you look at The teachings of Jesus through the conversation of trauma, what is sin? Sin is an archery term that means I missed the mark and I missed the mark because I'm hurt. And that's his whole message. Like the first of you that was without saying cast a stone, like it's all there. It's just said a little bit differently. And now the data and the science is starting to catch up with things that most of us have known to be true for a long time. (laughs) But now we have the data to prove it, which I think is just so cool. So grace, a hundred percent, because if you think about it from God's perspective, he created these creatures that are wounded and hurt and working through this process. And if you literally don't know it's possible and you're just trying to survive, of course, grace has to exist.
1: I am confident, uh, Mastin, that as, as it has been for me during this time, that the tens of thousands of folks listening to this podcast, you just opened up a world of paradigm shift and hope. Uh, for them and, uh, the possibility of freedom from these issues. It just, it's across the board. Again, that's why I was enamored to begin with. Now I am, I am even more. So, um, I've got about a list of about 15 things I want to talk to you further about, uh, but we'll, we'll save those. Thank you for doing what you do to come out, to give this message, to give it from your heart, to give it from your authenticity and to uh, open up a new world for us, I'm uh, I'm incredibly grateful right here right now. Thank you.
0: Uh, well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, you know I, I haven't been able to talk about this conversation in the context of a lot of my uh, spiritual and religious beliefs. So it's it's a really cool thing to be able to bring that into the conversation too. So it's been a tremendous gift for me as well.
1: Thank you so much, Mastin. Friends, I hope this message gave you cause for. Pause: I mean seriously, it, it, this message has stuck with me for the weeks since I've talked with Mastin and I've, I've talked to a lot of other people about it. What trauma and again, be broad on that scope of what trauma is. Don't think about just you know, tragedies as we talk about them, but what trauma, limiting belief, have you had in your life? Have you dealt with it? Have you found peace? and ask how it could equip you for more to offer great things. I really encourage you to check out Mastin's book, Claim Your Power. Again, you can find it wherever you buy books or connect with Mastin at M a s t i n k i p p. M-A-S-T-I-N-K-I-P-P.com And please let Mastin know what you got from this show by leaving a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and mention Mastin and this show and the value you specifically received from it. It's a gift to him, to us, to everyone. Coming up next in show 632, we get a message from Zig Ziglar on how everything in our life matters because everything affects everything. Uh, I just posted on Facebook this question then, what is the one area of your life you improved only to find it positively affected and improved other areas of your life? And uh, wrote out the seven spokes in the Ziegler Wheel of Life for people to reference, which others, of course, are physical and nutrition, number one, two is family, three is mental, four is financial, five is spiritual, six is career, seven is personal. So I asked Michelle Prince to join me and talk through your amazing comments, which she did. We recorded the show about, uh, about an hour ago, actually really really rich such a a diverse sharing from everybody uh is it is incredible you get a lot out of it until then thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together